have physical needs, food, shelter, clothing, those kinds of things. Is that what God is all about, just supplying our needs? Or is there more? There really is. Here's Pastor David. Let's start with, if you have your Bible, let's, uh, let's get that out. Chapter 7 of Matthew. If not, it'll be on the screen or you can use your phone or whatever you want to do. But let's get into the word here. You remember last week we talked about judgment. That really famous verse, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will measure back to you, and it goes on to the whole speck in the eye and the plank and all that stuff, okay? Then after that, there's a verse that we're going to read to kind of wrap up what was going on there, and what it does is that verse tempers this part before it. It, 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 it takes it and softens the do not judge and shows us what we talked about last week, which is Jesus is clearly not saying you can't judge anybody about anything at any time. He's talking about condemnation. He's talking about that kind of thing. But discernment is something you have to have. And so this is what it says. It says, this is verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, that's pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. It's pretty harsh. It's a pretty harsh thing to say, or it seems like it. Uh, D.A. Carson mentions in his book on the Sermon on the Mount that while this is a warning against having no judgment, right? So first he says, don't judge, and he's talking about condemnation and harshness and judging the hearts that you don't know and so on. This is a warning against not having any judgment. But he also mentions, Carson mentions that this is one verse on being careful to make sure you do do some judging, and there were five verses on making sure that you don't judge too much. So I'm guessing that Jesus knows that generally for most of us, our temptation is overjudging, not underjudging, right? And so uh, we're going to hit, last week it took us about an hour to get through those five verses. We're only going to take about a fifth of that to get through this one. I just want you to understand what Christ is talking about. It's important that we heed the warnings that Christ gives us. It's important. So we need to walk through what's going on in this passage, Jesus is talking about pearls. Don't cast your pearls before swine. He's using a metaphor. And in the metaphor, pearls are the word of God, right? Relationship with Jesus, his word. That's what the truth. Pearls are eternal, significant truth. But why pearls? Why pearls? Well, let me tell you why pearls. You have to understand who he was talking to and what was going on at the time to understand what's going on in Scripture. Now, pearls are fairly common. We have pearls. We have cultured pearls. And what that means is we also have just totally fake pearls. You can buy some of those. $5, is that what they are? We've got the $5 jewelry girls. You can watch that. I'm sure you can get some of that. Hey, it looks good. Uh, you know, but they have, they have fake pearls, and then they have cultured pearls, which are basically people get the oysters, and they put something inside the oyster so that it will form a pearl as opposed to just it happening in the, in the sea, right? Normally what happens is an oyster gets some sand or gets something in it and it makes this pearl. And of course, oysters are down there and you got to go get them out and then you get these pearls. So natural pearls are actually very rare. They say there are very few of them left in the world to even go get. Culture pearls are very common and relatively inexpensive. So a lot of you probably have pearls, right? And they're not incredibly expensive. But at this time, at this time in the first century, pearls were the most valuable Jewels, the most valuable in the world. One of the reasons for that is if you have to go down and get a, an oyster and you don't have a scuba tank, it's really hard. 
because you have to hold your breath for a long time, right? So it was very difficult to harvest these oysters to get these pearls. So there were a lot fewer of them, and they were worth a lot of money. In fact, uh, we hear from Fred Ward, who wrote an article on pearls through the ages, that Rome's pearl craze reached its zenith, the highest point, during the first century B.C., So the century before Jesus is doing his ministry, the very highest point of people just being all about pearls was going on. So it was a very culturally, when you talked about pearls, you were talking about something incredibly, incredibly valuable. There was a queen in Egypt who had a pair of pearl earrings, okay? Two pearls. I'm guessing they were decent-sized pearls, but they're two pearls. And in in the history that's written about this, it said that those two pearls were worth 1,875,000 ounces of fine silver, Okay. Today, that would be $34,125,000 for two pearls. Big pearls, but two pearls. $34 million. So what does that tell us about what Jesus is saying about the word of God? He is saying that there is nothing more valuable than Jesus and his word, than truth. Nothing. Right? Pearls were the most valuable. That's the metaphor he uses. There's not something more valuable that he could talk about. So the most valuable is what the word of God is. It is the most valuable thing you will ever encounter is Jesus, is God, and his word. It is the most valuable thing. So he's saying, be careful with it. Don't just toss it out wherever. It's something to keep in mind every time that you have Bible reading to do. We have this Bible reading through the year thing. I hope a lot of you are doing that. Some of us, including me, we miss some days, and it's like, oh, well, I got to get to that, you know? But we probably didn't miss a day of watching a show on Netflix or doing whatever else, but we do miss reading the Bible, and it's so backwards. It's so upside down because Jesus has told us that what's here are pearls, are the most valuable thing in the universe, and we ignore it sometimes. We don't want to read it. It's hard. It's difficult. Yeah, so is diving for pearls. And he's saying, you got to go after those things. you got to go after what's true. you got to go after the eternally valuable, right? When it's time to come to church on Sunday morning, you're thinking about, do I want to sleep in or do I want to make it? Do I want to come to church or not? Well, how many pearls are you going to get laying in your bed? Probably not many. If you have oysters in your bed, that's weird. So... <laughs> You're probably not going to get many pearls at home. You've got to decide what your life is going to look like and what you're going to value, right? When it's time to go to life group and it's like, man, it's been a hard day of work. We, we get tired and we're thinking, do I want to go to life group tonight or I want to stay home? Well, you worked however many hours for a few dollars that are going to pass away. They're going to the bills. They're going to whatever. And, and yet you could go to life group and have fellowship with other believers of the body of Christ and study his word, which is eternally valuable and significant above everything. If you're going to spend the hours at work, you probably should put the couple hours into life group once a week, right? We've got to think about those things. We've got to think about the values of the kingdom that Jesus has set for us to think about. And what he said is, his word is pearls. His word, in their, in their language, is the most valuable thing in the world. The most valuable thing in the world. So every time that we pray, every time we seek him, every time we read the scripture, we're doing things that have eternal significance, that are eternally valuable. There is nothing more valuable than relationship with Jesus and knowing his word. But not everyone sees that. Not everyone understands that. What do dogs and pigs want? Food. They want food, right? Dogs and pigs want food. My dogs are what my wife calls 
food motivated. They're very food motivated, right? So if we're having a snack, we're sitting on the couch watching TV, I mean, reading our Bibles and studying. <laughs> if I took a bag of pearls, we're eating the snack and the dogs come up, I want food. And I said, no, 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 wait, here's some pearls. And I threw the pearls out to them. Best case scenario, they sniff them. Maybe one of my dogs is kind of weird. He might lick one. They're going to figure out really quick it's not food. It doesn't taste good and whatever. And they're not going to value it at all. And of course, Jesus isn't talking about my dogs that are pets and that love me and that are probably just going to be like, whatever, I don't care about pearls. Give me some beef jerky. We're talking about wild dogs. You can still see this all over the world, just like it was in Jerusalem in the first century. Go to Honduras. Go to where we go in Tolonga. You'll see dogs everywhere. They're all over the place. They're just wild dogs. Nobody owns them. They're, they're mangy, they're gross, they're whatever, but they're just part of the life of the city. And if you mess with one of those dogs and, and they think you're going to give it food and you give it something that's not food, they might just tear you up, right? They can be dangerous. Not in Honduras. Nothing's dangerous. You should go. But in other places, they might be dangerous. They might be dangerous, right? And Jesus is talking about that. Pigs and dogs. Pigs can be very dangerous too. I don't know how many of you have come up on a wild boar but supposedly they're not very safe. So if you are trying to give them something that they don't value, and instead they want something different from you, they want just food, temporal, something now, pleasure, and you give them something eternal that they don't understand, they don't value, they're not going to treat it with value, and it's almost possible that it would be dangerous for you. They might trample it and tear it up. Because dogs and pigs don't think about the eternally valuable. They don't. They only think about the temporal and pleasure. They just want food. Now, there are people like this too. There are people like this too. They would not know what to do with the word of God if, if you gave it to them. They wouldn't value it one bit. And in fact, they'd probably ridicule, make fun of, persecute, and all kinds of other things when you bring the truth to them. And if they're just going to mock and ridicule, then you are wasting your time and your pearls on a person that has no interest in them. may sound harsh that there are people that are like that, but Jesus is Jesus. And when he tells us that's true, it's true. There are people who are like that, that it would be unwise for you to spend your time giving them the truth of the word of God. They simply don't value it. They simply don't value it. They're so selfish and pleasure-motivated that they would act as animals would with pearls. They have no use for it. And they might just turn and tear you up. But we are called to witness to the whole world. And we are called to love our enemies. So clearly what Jesus is not saying here is that those people are people you should hate, despise, make fun of, right? Cast off? No, no, no. You should be, if they're your enemies, all the more you're supposed to love them and pray for them, okay? That's our call. And you're supposed to preach the gospel to the whole world. Because here's the thing. I've been that person. Some of you have been that person. D.A. Carson says this, many, if not most, thinking adults who have become sincere disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ begin this pilgrimage by balking, and not a few begin by mocking. Okay. Guys like C.S. Lewis, who was a renowned atheist, almost certainly a mocker of God, came to a glorious, saving, transformational relationship in Jesus Christ. 
because people cared enough to continue to give him the word. And somebody in your life, if you're a Christ follower, has spoken the word of truth to you. And you may not have always received it well, but eventually it got through. So Jesus is not saying that this is most people or that we should just stop preaching the word. We should stop evangelizing, stop trying to show people who Jesus is because nobody values it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that occasionally you may, you may run into somebody where that's the case and you'll have to use some discernment to do that. Of course, you're only going to get that discernment from the Holy Spirit. Most of you probably won't even run into that situation. And the reason you won't is because I think it's relatively rare. And most of us aren't spending enough time speaking the truth and speaking God's word to ever run into that situation because it's rare, right? Most people who are going to run into that are people who are preaching, teaching all the time. Now, occasionally, they may run into something like these disciples did. The Pharisees became this way, right? And Paul's like, okay, you're out. I'm taking it to the Gentiles. You're not listening anymore. And there is a time and there's a place. Jesus talks about to his disciples, he says, look, when you go into a town and you're preaching the good news, if they won't have you and they won't listen, wipe the dust off your feet and take off. Those people are going to be under judgment. There is a time and a place where people will not listen. Now, there are times when your ministry, and every one of you has a ministry, and every one of you has a ministry of truth. You have what Christ has done in your life. You have what's in this word. He has equipped you to have a ministry. And there are times when your ministry will not be heard. But that does not mean that you stop loving people or that you stop praying for people. You pray that the Holy Spirit will draw them to himself. That you will have the opportunity one day to see them accept the truth of God's word. Most of us, if we've been in Christ for a long time, we have people who we've been praying for the whole time. Right? They might be our own children or our brothers or our sisters, parents, whoever it is. Friends, co-workers, and we've been praying diligently for them. And they don't listen. They aren't interested. Keep praying. Keep praying. Remember this. Jesus was despised and rejected and killed. I feel like the popular version of Jesus, that people don't really pay attention to that part. Like everyone knows there was a crucifixion or resurrection, that kind of thing. But most people, when they think about Jesus... They think about the kind of Jesus is my homeboy Jesus, right? The guy in the robe who's like this and he's saying things and whatever. And everybody likes him and usually he's holding a sheep or something, right? And he's petting. You've seen the pictures, right? Jesus is the nice guy. Jesus is the good teacher. And everybody, of course, recognized that he was a good guy and a good teacher, right? And so there's all these people in crowds. What you don't remember, not you, but what society doesn't seem to remember or doesn't want to focus on is the fact that that's really not the story at all. He was rejected and despised by men. That's what he was. Remember uh, the people who he fed, the 5,000? They came and they were fed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. 5,000. That was just the men. There was a lot more people than that. That's just the men that they counted. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And this is what they say after, the, after this miracle. It says this, John 6, 14 through 15. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. After this miracle is done, this is what the men are saying. This is the prophet. This is the Messiah. We need to go literally grab him and make him king right now. That's how jacked up they were about Jesus and this miracle that he had done. But here's the thing that's interesting. The next day, okay, that night, Jesus and his disciples, they go over, they go on a boat. Jesus walks on the water. You probably know the story. But they go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
okay? And, and this is the next day. The next day, they're like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's over on the other side. They get in boats. They follow him. They seek him over to the other side because they're jacked up about who Jesus is, right? A bunch of people go and find him. They seek him out. And this is what Jesus says to them when they get there. John 6, 26 through 34. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate. You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They want something, right? Jesus answers them. Really simple. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? What? Did I not feed 5,000 people yesterday? What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Prove it. And this is the other one to prove it. Ready? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What did they want from him? More bread. We're hungry again. <laughs> He's like, I am God. I am the Messiah. In me, you can have eternal life. And they're like, that sounds great, but I'd like some bread. What will you do to prove it to us? You gave us bread yesterday, you know. They're like, what will you do? You know, I mean, Moses gave him bread, so I mean, I don't know if you want to give us more bread, but that's what, that's what they want, more bread, more bread. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. It sounds like they were coming around, but let's follow it a little further. What, are they, what were they seeking? They were seeking food. Food, the instant pleasure of the bread. And Jesus is like, don't focus on bread that perishes. Focus on the eternal, the valuable, the pearls. And they're snuffing around, snuffing around the ground, right? For bread, missing the pearls. And he's trying to give them the pearls. Jesus tells them he is the bread from heaven. He brings eternal life. He's come into the world to give life. They're like, give us bread. So Jesus starts talking to them about spiritual things, about bread. And he says, look, I'm the bread of life. My flesh is the bread, and it will be given for the life of the world. He tells them that. And they're like, what? What? And he goes on and he starts saying, if you're going to be part of me, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's talking spiritually, right? We do this with communion. It's a spiritual thing. It's not cannibalism. But you know what they said? How are we going to eat his flesh? They're still thinking about eating. They're just they're eating. They, they, at the end of the day, what they're focused on is what Jesus can do for them right then and there. Feed me. Sounds all too familiar, doesn't it? We so often are more worried about our physical needs then we are about living for Jesus. I hope you'll join us next time for part two. As always, we want to invite you to come see us here at Acts Church. Get directions and all the info you need anytime at actschurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll be right here next time for more great Bible teaching with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate. Contemplate.